Thank you for tuning in to the Bully Pew podcast brought to you by Protestia.com, where, as always, you can go to find the latest in Christian polemics and discernment news, insightful commentary from a biblical perspective, and uh, all sorts of other freebies. Uh, we call the the first half of the Protestia Tonight podcast the Freeloader Podcast, and we are uh, well, we love our freeloaders. We're we're happy that uh, anybody is getting on the website and being blessed and edified by the work being done here, which is work being done for the edification of Christians and your local body of believers. And much like every other um, piece of programming that we offer, articles, uh, audio, video, you name it, it is intended for the edification of the church. And I would be remiss if I did not remind you that if you are not a loving, giving, serving, faithful member of your local New Testament congregation, this programming really isn't for you, is not intended. Anything that we do that's in the polemics and discernment realm is not intended to be uh, used to make a case against your pastor or um, figure out why he's wrong and you're right or you know any of, the, any of that lone wolf kind of stuff. Um, I realize as I say that, it, that is a, it's a challenging proposition and yet is one that we are called to as believers to hold one another accountable for what we believe and what we do and the particulars of holy living in the Christian life. Um, most specifically, um, the gospel of Jesus Christ, hold one another accountable for what we believe, which I would argue is the um, the primary and most important fruit of the Spirit. What do you confess? What do you believe? And in light of that, we're going to be discussing on this episode of the Bully Pew Podcast. By the way, the program, of course, brought to you by our patron supporters. If you would be so kind and want to join them, head over to patreon.com forward slash protestia and sign up starting at $5.95 a month and up um, ad-free browsing on the website, some other little uh, incidental goodies, the full version of Protestia Tonight. Um, all of those things can be yours for that little cup of coffee that you would forego. I, it might be like might be two cups, but I mean, you know, you get you get my points. Uh, Five ninety five and up, uh, you can join us on a financial level, which we would be honored to have your support uh, in the work being done here. Um, anyway, oh, and also go to the website and sign up for the insurgency. Uh, it's on the the uh, the sidebar, I think they call it. Uh, right side of the website if you're on a desktop or if uh, keep scrolling down if you're on mobile and you will find a sign up for the insurgency if you're not already signed up. Uh, anyway, we're going to be talking about, I, I was having a discussion uh, with some some brethren, um, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ about um, the, the, the connection, we'd say the connection between what is sometimes termed neo-Calvinism and the neo-Calvinist movement of the last 20, 30 years, uh, and church growth or attractional church, seeker-sensitive kind of methodology. And I wanted to, as your favorite um, vision-casting, seeker-sensitive pastor might say, I want to unpack this for you and just talk, talk about uh, one of the major connections that um, I don't really hear talked about that much, but I, I think it's good to understand, important to understand um, when we say, first of all, when we say neo-Calvinism, um, we're talking about the resurgence in Reformed soteriology, uh, the doctrines of grace, um, election, predestination, the, the biblical 
of course, I would argue biblical teaching that regeneration precedes faith. Um, these these kind of uh, biblical concepts, the resurgence of those in evangelicalism over the over the past few decades. Um, we know names like, um, you know, John Piper, uh, you know, Mark Dever, uh, Matt Chandler, Mark Driscoll before he, you know, sort of revealed who he was to the to the broader um, conversation. Uh, names like uh, Tim Keller, I think, is probably the probably the most influential in many ways, especially on uh, pastors and vocational ministers that are around my age. So, so you know, pastors and vocational ministers that are between the ages of, I don't know, mid thirties to fifty or so, uh, kind of that older millennial, younger, like 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 uh, you know, younger Gen X, uh, older millennial. Uh, age bracket, Tim Keller, of course, becoming very uh, influential in a lot of those circles. And um, again, the, the, the term neo-Calvinist, meaning like new Calvinists, you know, the, the, the Calvinists coming that came that, that have sort of uh, reinvigorated that doctrine in evangelicalism, um, just so happened, the growth of that just so happened to coincide with uh, the explosion of attractional church, church growth methodology, um, you know, the new ways to do church, the ways to, to make church, um, you know, seem more a- attractive, um, more interesting, more exciting for unchurched, what we call unchurched people. Um, this is the, the methodologies and the, the sort of marketing acumen um, and the, the sort of corporate methodologies of people like Bill Hybels at Willow Creek or Rick Warren at Saddleback. Um, these are the, you know, uh, um, and, and of course, even before them, pulling concepts from, um, uh, uh, you know, self-help gurus and self-actualization names like Norm, Norman Vincent Peale, um, corporate uh, culture methodologies of Peter Drucker, and, you know, things that you might see uh, being implemented at large corporate cultures like Apple or Google or something like that. Um, there, there's a connection between these two things that is, is worth at least for, for the little bit of time that I have you here, worth, worth discussing. Um, one of the accusations that gets tossed at Calvinists, those of us who believe that God and, and, and the third person, the Trinity of the Holy Spirit is the, the initiator of salvation, that faith itself is a gift, that nobody can believe unless they are first made alive. We sometimes talk about this as regeneration preceding faith. In other words, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. You're blind. You can't see the truth. You can't even make a, a affirmative, positive movement towards God unless he first um, makes you alive. And so the fact that people believe in Jesus Christ, which they do, and they're responsible for their response to God, and they, they exercise faith and repent of their sins is because they've been um, made able to do so by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Um, the Bible teaches, very clearly teaches the doctrine of election, that um, those who are called according to uh, God's purpose uh, were called before, before the world began. God knew. Um, our names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life um, in in eternity past. This wasn't. This isn't something that we can um, that we can uh, stop or thwart. If God has chosen to save us, we will be saved indeed. 
But one of the accusations that gets thrown at, at, at Calvinists all the time is, well, um, you, can, you, you guys don't practice evangelism. You don't evangelize or, or you, don't, you don't prioritize evangelism because you believe that you know, nothing you can do will, say, will cause anybody to be saved or be lost. Um, God's going to save who he's going to save, which logically means that those uh, who are God has not chosen to save will be condemned and there's nothing you can do about it, which, which is true, but that's not within our scope. That's, that's not within our purview. Um, but this accusation gets thrown at Calvinists, like, and, and ironically, I find this the most ironic, is this accusation gets thrown at, at Calvinists who are, um, well, they're, they're, they're doctrinally picky. They're, they're um, arguing over doctrine. They are exposing false teachers. They're, they're doing discernment work. It gets thrown at those Calvinists the most, like, you guys are a bunch of legalists and, and, and this and that. And I, I, the reason that I find that ironic is because discernment and, and you know, polemics arguing over doctrine, contending for the truth, the particulars of the truth of the faith, is profoundly evangelical. Once you, once you understand and you really you, you, uh, live out and you act in accordance with the biblical truth that there are many among us calling themselves Christians, claiming the name of Christ, who are not actually saved— and you hear testimony after testimony after testimony from baptistries all over the place saying, yeah, I was just going through the motions. I was going through the church motions and the Christian things. And I was saying the right things and I was saying Jesus and, 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 and all of that. And, but I was living a lie. And it wasn't until God chose to save me, he actually, the Holy Spirit actually regenerated me that I realized it was a lie or that I maybe that I fully accepted it was a lie or I understood that I wasn't saved before and now I am. Um... You, you hear these kind of testimonies. You hear people say, say, say things like, yeah, I believed in him you know, falsely. I believed in a false Jesus. I followed a false teacher. Um, it was a false gospel. And, and through the work of people saying, we're not going to tolerate that. We're going to expose why, um, you know, so-and-so's gospel is a false gospel. And you, you're not going to like it. You're going to think we're, we're haters. You're going to think that we're, we're mean, um, stubborn, picky, you know, judgmental Calvinist types. Um, you're going to think that, but when the Holy Spirit moves on your heart, you'll see the truth. Our role in that is just to proclaim the truth, come what may. Um, come, come, you know, as they say, come hell or high water, <laughs> come persecution, come arrows, come, come hatred, um, come joy. All of it is like, like all of that will happen. There's a season for everything. And that's true if we're faithfully proclaiming the gospel. That's our role. And so, um, these accusations are leveled against Calvinists. Well, you know, you, you guys don't want to evangelize. Um, and I would argue that within a lot of the, the neo-Calvinist camp, especially as it has intersected or adopted or synergized itself with church growth methodology, with, with corporate, uh, corporate strategy and people management strategy and salesmanship strategy, um, that's true. The accusation is true in that context. Um, by this, I mean that if you go to, if you hear sermons preached and, and hear talks by some, some not all, but some neo-Calvinist uh, leaders who have very clearly adopted church growth methodology, they fear, like attractionalism, there is a reason, there, or at least there's a synergy behind this idea that God uh, saves whom he will save. 
and this idea of being non-judgmental and being being ecumenical and wide open to everything and not not preaching the law at all, not preaching holiness, not preaching the unadulterated full counsel of God's word. There's a synergy there. So this accusation that gets leveled against Calvinists that says you guys don't evangelize or you don't care about evangelism, um, it holds true. It's an accurate accusation. It's a true criticism in the case of these neo-Calvinist churches that sort of practice this non-judgmentalism. The, the, the ones that are unwilling to, from the pulpit on a Sunday morning, um, preach the holiness of the law. And by that, I'm, I don't mean the holiness of the law, the, the law of God as a salvific instrument, but every true gospel presentation preaches law and gospel because the, the, the good news of the gospel is dependent on the holy and perfect standard of the law that none of us are able to attain. Like we, everybody, every person, no matter what their station in life, needs a savior because we're all equally condemned under the law. You break a little bit of it, you're guilty of breaking the whole thing. Um, you hate your brother, you're guilty of murdering your heart. Uh, no, no human being corrupted by sinful nature can possibly pass the test of the law, but this doesn't mean the law is bad. The law of, of God is good and holy and pure. And that's why we need Christ, because we can't possibly... Um, keep it on our own. This is why Christ came as an incarnate uh, Savior, took on human flesh so he could fulfill those requirements. He could fulfill the requirements of the law, which was, yeah, which is a human being um, being perfect, perfectly uh, righteous, um, not, not breaking the law in any way, in deed or in thought or in inclination whatsoever. Um, but so, so, Calvinism can be twisted from an understanding of God's sovereignty into sort of a get out of doing the get out of doing what we were told free card, and that's what a lot of uh, neo-Calvinist uh, you know pastors and movements and churches have done. And instead, they've they, they basically take a tact of well, because God is sovereign in salvation, because he he he's really in charge of that entirely. Um, we can kind of do. Um, our, our job here can be to, to do whatever we want with church, as novel as we want. We can experiment in, in any number of different ways. We can um, you know, change the message all over the place if necessary in order to get people into our church and to get people to listen to us and build audiences and do all, you know, platform build here. And then when asked about that, we can simply retreat to, and, and very rarely are they asked about this overtly, but when asked about, like, why is that okay? I mean, the Bible prescribes what we're supposed to be doing here. It prescribes what church is supposed to be, what true worship is supposed to be. Why are you, why are you having Super Bowl services and swinging from the ceiling and dropping eggs out of helicopters and all of this sort of nonsense? They can retreat theologically to, hey, God's in charge of salvation. I mean, whoever's going to be saved is going to be saved. Whoever's going to be lost is going to be lost. And so in, in light of that, our job, rather than just preach the unadulterated gospel truth and let people come and leave um, in, in accordance with the, the, the workings of the Holy Spirit, um, we're free to kind of, you know, our job here is just to like, like keep them here. You know, grow the size and influence of this. Salvation's up to God anyway. There is a synergy behind these ideas. It's not a coincidence that uh, neo-Calvinism and church growth um, you know, 
attractional methodology came up at the same time. It's not a coincidence that you see, um, in, in many cases, the same faces practicing both these things. Um, and the reason that I wanted to you know, kind of refocus on that is just to bring a little bit more understanding to um, uh, you know some of the some of the broader doctrines that are behind all of this, um, and 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 I guess maybe in a way um, agree with some of the uh, critics of and I say this as a Calvinist, but the critics of Calvinism that say. Um, that there are Calvinists that use it as a get-out-of-evangelism-free card. Um, that's a true accusation uh, in, a, in a lot of ways, but I would argue that it's a true accusation against the church growth, uh, uh, you know, make church in our vision, uh, uh, cast church the way we want to, be novel with things, you know, and sort of the, the, the normative worship kind of side of the church growth movement. Um, that basically sees, sees uh, the doctrines of grace and God's sovereignty and salvation as a, as a, as a reason to, to free-for-all with their church. Hey, if God's in charge of salvation, then it doesn't really matter. I mean, at that point, we can do sort of whatever we want to do around here, and we're not going to be held responsible for who comes to faith and who doesn't. Um, that's, that, that is anti-evangelistic. Because true evangelism involves preaching the full counsel of the gospel. It involves confronting people with their sin, confronting people with their depravity before an almighty God. It involves being able to preach a message that is um, the exact same message to rich and poor, good life, bad life, whatever situation you find yourself in. The gospel is a consistent message. And when it is preached consistently from a church— um, it is bound to tick people off. That's the nature of it. It's, it's an offense. It is antithetical. I mean, if, if, if your church model is basically we're going to try to make people as comfortable as possible here, we're going to try to make them feel like no matter, no matter what they, no matter what they believe or practice or however they come here, uh, our goal is to continue to make them comfortable as long as we possibly can. With, with the hope that, I mean, some of them, I guess, will become saved or some of them will, um, will start to see fruit and sanctification in their lives. That is an antithetical strategy to the actual preaching of the gospel. You know, rather, the, the church that is serious about evangelism is not afraid to offend, um, you know, as necessary, as, as the Spirit would allow that to happen. So we preach the consistent gospel knowing that there will be people among us that, uh, that respond well, um, you know, and we pray for the Spirit to uh, move, regenerate them so they can understand it and, and, and accept it and trust Christ. Um, but we know that we're going to preach it to people even in our congregations that don't, they don't respond to it. Their hearts are hardened. Um, they're dead in their trespasses and sins. They can't see it for what it is. They're blind. That's going to happen too. And the funny thing is that's going to happen even amongst the people who call themselves Christians. We know this to be true. Not only does Jesus say that this is a reality, this is how it happens, but we see the testimonies. We see the people that say, I, I thought I was saved. And it wasn't until I, you know, such and such a moment when I knew, you know. And, and at the time, they... You know, they don't know necessarily. They, they just know they believe now. They understand it. They see it, and they didn't see it before. Their eyes are opened. You know, this is the evidence. This is the fruit that they have been saved by the power of the Holy Spirit. They've been regenerated. They've been made new creations. 
And so um, it is profoundly anti-evangelical to decide we're going to play fast and loose with the gospel depending on the audience. You know, and this is, I mean, this this is the Tim Keller third way uh, winsome strategy that has become all the rage uh, in reformed circles. And it, it, it is a church growth, uh, world responsive, um, try to win the hearts of man kind of strategy. To say something like, well, you know, hey, in this context here, we're really going to, you know, these people will resonate more if we say it this way or we, or we, uh, we, we sort of, we, you know, we sep- maybe separate parts of the gospel and introduce pieces of it to them in a way that sort of guides them to understanding, oh, you, you know, actually you might have liked Jesus this whole time and you just didn't realize it. I mean, that, that, that kind of stuff pervades church growth methodology. It pervades neo-Calvinism and reform circles even to this day. I mean, I think the bloom is off the rose to a degree because people are starting to wake up to the results of that. They're not seeing the fruit. Like the, the fruit of the spirit isn't having a giant crowd in your building. That's not a fruit of the spirit. Um, Joel Osteen, I mean, it's, I, I think it's declined a little bit, but Joel Osteen's false church is full of people. That's not, I mean, and, and these same guys that would look at uh, somebody like Keller before his passing and say, oh, it's amazing that uh, this soft-spoken, uh, you know, winsome sort of, uh, you know, rural uh, you know, preacher here walks into Manhattan and has a giant church. How did he do it? Um, it must be because he's figured out the, the, the solution. He's figured out the recipe here. It couldn't possibly be because he's compromising the message in some way to appeal to... Uh, um, humanist, liberal urbanites. That's, I mean, we're, we're not even going to entertain that notion. The same people that would, that would rip Joel Osteen and say, hey, his big crowd is not evidence he's doing the right thing, are the same people that look at Tim Keller and say his, his large church is evidence he's doing the right thing. Um, and and it's, this is how this stuff seeps in. Because, uh, you know, Tim Keller, he sort of pioneered in the neo-Calvinist uh, reformed wing of evangelicalism, the allowability of um, of modifying the gospel message to fit the audience. And I know like some of you probably uh, Keller defenders out there say, no, I mean, he was just contextualizing it like culturally or saying it in a way where they would really, it would really resonate with their values and, and help them again, like help them understand that they, that they really, they're not that far off from really believing and trusting in Jesus. They're not as far off as they think they are. Um, like ladies and gentlemen, that's not the gospel. That's not the God. I mean, the, the, the gospel is the same message. Um, to everybody, uh, and and it is confrontational by its nature. Jesus said it would be. Um, there's nobody lost and dead in their trespasses and sins who is going to respond well when you tell them they're a sinner going to hell. That the con- the wages of sin is death, and that you know, despite the fact that they probably think they're a good person, you know, yeah, I do some bad things, but I but I do a lot of good things. I'm really not that bad. I'm really not that far off. Um, when you tell them the true gospel that you are as far away from um, being reconciled to God as you possibly could be, you're, that your righteousness is like filthy rags, they're not going to respond well to that. And and so then we have to ask ourselves, like, like 
this this uh, this winsome uh, strategy of hey, we're gonna we're gonna sort of tailor the message. We're gonna tailor how we approach it um, to to try to um, help it harmonize with whatever this person's you know, life situation is or whatever their values are, their culture is, is not the gospel. And ironically, it's not, it's not even particularly Calvinist because the Cal, the true Calvinist would say, God's in charge of salvation. It's my job to preach the, the unadulterated truth and let the spirit move. I'm not in charge of who, who is saved and who isn't saved. Um, the, the, that's what the, the true Calvinist who's actually living this out would say and do. Um, but the neo-Calvinist in so many ways says, um, because God's in charge of salvation, I'm kind of off the hook. And, you know, I don't, I, in other words, I don't have any skin in the game with this. That's up to God. Um, and they're, 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 they're twisting the doctrine. They're twisting the understanding of it in their application because the, the true application of it should be because God is in charge of salvation. I am called to obediently preach, come what may. And guess what? That's going to cost me something. Um, I'm going to face persecution. I'm going to face hatred. I'm going to face the world looking at me like I'm a crazy person, a looney tune, some Jesus freak fundamentalist. That's, that's what's really going to happen. Um, but it's not my job to try to spare myself of that. It's not my job to, you know, maybe round off the edges a little bit, maybe not focus so much on sin and repentance because that way I can draw a crowd. And if I draw a crowd, and this is, by the way, this is such a pernicious thing that these guys really tell themselves is, hey, if I can keep the crowd here um, and and not seem judgmental, uh, you know, God is sovereign in salvation, so he'll work on their hearts and he'll save who he's going to save. And, um, you know, so it's totally cool if Dave and Steve, the gay married couple, are in my uh, church for 10, 15 years and not feeling any conviction because that's really up to God anyway. You know, I'm, I mean, who am I to judge? I'm a sinner, too. You know, that, that's 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 where these guys end up. So I, I just want I wanted to spend a little time discussing that connection. And for those of you, and, and maybe you're listening to this, and you're like, I don't even know what reform, what, what is a reform or an, a neo-Calvinist? I don't know what that is. Who are these guys? Um, hopefully you've benefited from the discussion a little bit anyway. Of course, for those of you that know who these guys are and sort of are familiar with the history of this movement, I hope this brings a little bit of, of additional clarity. Because for me, for the longest time, I couldn't figure out, like, these guys are supposedly Calvinists. Why are Calvinists playing... Um, vision caster with their churches? Why are, why are Calvinists who believe God is sovereign, not just unapologetically um, executing Christ's vision for the church? Why do they think it's their job to, to uh, cast their own vision for their church that's somehow different than all other faithful churches and, and modified in some way? How could they think this um, and still be Calvinists? This is why. Because the accusation that Calvinists are anti-evangelical can be true if the doctrine is, um, uh, is used as an excuse or the doctrine is, is, is not lived out in consistency with the rest of Scripture. It's not understood and practiced in the, cons- the consistency of Scripture that says you're supposed to evangelize. Yes, you're not in charge of salvation, but you, um, you, uh, God has called you to be obedient in preaching the truth, preaching the gospel. Um, and, and being willing to suffer for it. That's the, that's the, true, uh, um, that's the true application um, that should be pervading all of uh, you know, Calvinist Reformed um, churches and pulpits. And yet we know for a fact it isn't. We see it. So thank you for listening to uh, this episode of the Bully Pew Podcast. Uh, stay tuned to Protestia. 
Christianplumbing.com for all of your latest in Christian polemics and discernment news. Reach out if you have questions about this. Um, I'm, I got to get better, by the way, while I'm, while I'm sort of doing the, uh, the, the book in here on the end of the podcast, I got I, I think I really have to get better about tagging podcasts and things because I realize, um, folks come with questions and things. I'm like, okay, we talked about this in detail, but I don't even remember which podcast it was. So probably dropping tags about the, the topic of the podcast might be a helpful thing. Um, sometimes a text search works as well, obviously, but, but dropping tags might help us to, uh, you know, reference reference work that has been done in the past that's, that's helpful. And I hope that this one has been similarly helpful. Anyway, thank you again for listening. Go to church this weekend. Gather with the saints. Worship the Almighty. Um, engage in uh, uh, fellowship and, um, you know, teaching and preaching and uh, singing songs and, you know, spiritual songs and hymns and psalms and Um, all those wonderful things we get the privilege of doing as the gathered body of Christ uh, this Sunday. If you're in Colorado, perhaps I will see you there. Um, But as always, Semper Reformanda.